Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Advisor Marketing Club podcast. My name is Alan Ward and I'll be your host. The Advisor Marketing Club podcast is aimed at financial planners around the world who'd like to learn how to use digital marketing to attract and retain quality clients. Every advisor that I speak with is interested in using the internet for their marketing. They see so much opportunity in this new digital world that we live in. But most financial planners don't know where to start. So invariably, they do nothing. By listening to this podcast, you'll learn the concepts and strategies around online marketing, and you'll quickly be able to apply a lot of these ideas to your business, where you'll be able to see some measurable results. Digital marketing isn't difficult. It's just a matter of having a plan that works for your business and the outcomes that you're looking to achieve. It's helpful to tell you a little bit about me. As I said, my name is Alan Ward, and I'm a financial planner in Adelaide, Australia. I've worked in the financial planning industry since 1996, and I've had various roles, mainly in advising, but also on the practice management side. In the mid-2000s, I completed an MBA through part-time study. That was a lot of fun, juggling family work and study all at the same time. Then, because there wasn't enough stress in my life, I decided to buy a financial planning business and become self-employed. Now, did I mention that this was at the end of 2007? Just cast your mind back. Did anything significant happen around that time in the financial world? Just that minor blip called the global financial crisis. So my business plan was turned on its head and it became a case of sink or swim. I'd learned a lot about myself and how people react under pressure during this time. Now, in early 2008, I'd paid someone to set up a company website. I'd actually been blogging for a while before this, so I thought I knew what I was doing. Now, in hindsight, whilst I probably knew more than the average planner about websites, I still made a lot of mistakes with the original site. A few years later, I changed the business website and started treating it more as a lead generator. And this helped me focus on how the site needed to look and the content that it needed to have. Slowly over time, I started to build up an email list of prospects and convert some of those into new clients. And we started appearing in some Google searches. We started using social media more effectively, and this also brought in some new prospects. Outside of the business, I was continuing to blog about other topics on other websites. I have a guitar website where I write about music and produce some instructional videos about how to play popular songs. I have a website all about cute cats and dogs, simply because there aren't enough of them on the internet. And I also have a newer website where I blog about 80s music. Yeah, there's also a bunch of other sites that I started in a flood of excitement and then quickly lost interest in. But I've learned a lot from these various blogs. I've learned all about how to research a niche, attracting traffic, keyword research, social media, getting people to sign up to an email list, and then how to market to those email addresses. And over time, other advisors began to seek me out and ask me questions about what they should do when it comes to digital marketing. Things like how to appear in Google search results, how to set up a Facebook page, how to better use the email addresses that they have for their clients. 
For a while, I've had a website called contarmedia.com. That's C-O-N-T-A-R media.com. Where I'd blog about a lot of the questions or topics that people were asking me about. Or I might learn how to do something with regards to online marketing. So I'd write an article about it for two reasons. One, to help others, but two, to help me when I'd forgotten in the future how to do that particular thing. And from the website came some consulting work where advisors would ask me for help. Maybe we're setting up a new website, email marketing, Facebook, other forms of social media. Over the last few months, I've had a fresh look at how the financial advice industry has changed and the direction that it's heading in. Many more advisors now are looking at how to use the internet more effectively, both to attract new clients, but also to look after existing clients. Back in 2007, not every advisor had a website. Now, you'd be in a small minority if you don't. And you know, now most of your client base would have email addresses, but that wasn't the case 10 years ago. So the challenge is how to leverage technology to achieve positive results, change Contar Media from just being a website and consulting business to becoming recognized as a credible voice to the financial planning industry on matters of online marketing. And this podcast is a way of expanding our reach by providing content that's valuable to most financial planners around the world. I hope that you enjoy the podcasts that you'll visit our website and maybe promote us to your colleagues. A lot of the content in these podcasts will be driven by our listeners. So if there are particular topics you'd like us to cover, let us know. And if there are people that you think we should interview, let us know. You can get in touch with us via the website at contarmedia.com. And on the website, you'll see there's a contact us page. Just click there and send a message to me via the web form. And also at our website, there's an opportunity for you to subscribe to our newsletter list. We've written a short guide and it's called the Contar Media Little Black Book of Online Marketing Resources. This guide contains many of the tools that we use to make our online marketing easier. And it's free for every subscriber to our newsletter. In today's podcast, I'll talk about websites. Now, I'll assume that you're sold on the importance of having a website, so I won't spend time trying to convince you why you should have one. I'll talk about some of the things to consider when it comes to your financial planning website and talk about some of the best practices. So look, make sure that you take notes and pause when you need to, to think about how you can use this information to make your website more effective. When it comes to having a website in any industry, a good place to start is to ask yourself this question, what is the purpose of this website? You see, having a website, it's no longer enough, it's expected. And there's no point spending money on a website if it doesn't do anything. So what is it that you want it to do? For me and many of my colleagues, the purpose is for the website to assist with generating new leads for our business. Now, this is probably the same for your website. It's a similar story across different industries and businesses. But maybe you're different. 
What if you have enough clients and you just wanted a website for your existing clients? Well, that's a valid purpose in itself. The issue here is that the content you'd place on that website could be quite different to the content you'd use and the design you'd use if you were wanting your site to generate leads. So whilst this is a bit of a simplistic question, the question of what is the purpose of your website, it is a question that needs answering. And once you've answered it, everything you do around that website needs to be assessed around whether it helps you achieve that goal. The next thing to consider with a website is how it fits with your overall marketing strategy. Now, in my opinion, a website should sit at the center of your online marketing activities. Now, I'm aware that you could also be doing other marketing activities offline, such as newspaper advertising or direct mail. You can still send leads from that sort of stuff to your website. But for your online marketing, it makes a lot of sense to position your website at the center. And let me explain what I mean. In recent years, there's been a growth in businesses setting up a Facebook page for their business. You may have one for your financial planning business. There's nothing wrong with this. I consider it to be a form of distribution. It's an extra marketing channel that you can use to promote your business to people who are on Facebook. But who has ultimate control over your Facebook page. Now, if you said that you do, then you're wrong. You see, Facebook has control over that page, not you. At any time, they could delete your page. Now, they usually wouldn't do it for no reason, but sometimes their perception of what you're doing with your page could be different from your perception. A few years ago, YouTube deleted the YouTube channels of a number of prominent and not so prominent bloggers. Their crime? Well, it was for producing videos about making money online. Now, whether they felt it was justified or not wasn't the issue. The issue was all about how YouTube saw that. And the power that YouTube had to delete their channels because it didn't think those videos were appropriate. Now, some got their videos and their channels back after they appealed to YouTube, but it certainly wasn't a quick or easy process. So back to Facebook. Who owns Facebook? Not you or me. So whilst it's a good place to use for your marketing, don't make it the center of your online marketing efforts. Because if you do and you lose your Facebook page, you've lost everything. Another thought to consider, what if Facebook goes the way of MySpace and no one goes there anymore? Now, at the moment, that might seem like a crazy thing to bring up, but maybe in 10 years' time, we'll be listening back to this podcast and we'll be laughing because MySpace and Facebook are kind of the same. In fact, you might even not know what MySpace was. So just think about that. Think about who owns the, um, the web property that you've got. Let's go back to your website. Now, hopefully you own it. Now, I know some planners that have a website that's hosted kind of via their licensee or, or, or the, the group they're licensed through or authorised through. They don't own that website and nor do they have a lot of control over how it looks or the content that they can place on it. And that's a topic for another day, though, to talk about the different kinds of sites and hosting and so on. But let's assume you own your website you've paid for the domain name and the hosting 
You've built the site or employed somebody to do it and you own it. You can't lose it. If your web host goes broke, it's simple. You transfer to a new one. The only way it can fall over is if you don't pay for the hosting or the domain name. And you have absolute control over your web page. Now, obviously, there are some compliance considerations. But apart from that, you can determine how the site looks, the content, the layout, all that sort of stuff. So I'm not anti-Facebook or anti-Twitter or LinkedIn. I think in many cases, they're an important part of your online marketing strategy. But they shouldn't be the central part. In most cases, my Facebook marketing strategies revolve around getting people to click through to my website. The same with Twitter, LinkedIn and other social media sites. The way I use them is to drive traffic and leads to my website. Now, to take this a step further, the most valuable thing you can do is to convert visitors to your website to leads. The best case scenario when someone comes to your website is that they pick up the phone and they call you. The next best thing, in my opinion, is that they subscribe to your email list. Now again, you own your email list. An email list of 500 people is much better than a Facebook page with 500 likes. You see, you can directly email those people on your list as often as you want, and you control the look and the feel of the message that you're sending. You can't do that with Facebook. So again, your website is the hub of your online marketing activities. You can use other online sites and tools and strategies, but the most effective strategy you can use is to use those other sites to drive traffic back to your home base, your web page, where you can control the experience. Now, how do you want clients to find your site? I've met some planners who felt that having a website was enough. They became frustrated when they didn't receive the flood of traffic that they thought they would. And this is true. I remember one planner who reluctantly put a website in place because the, the licensee I was part of offered a free website. So they did it. And in the next meeting I went to with them, they complained that they hadn't got any new clients through it. And we kind of said, well, are you promoting it in any way? No. I just expect that people will find it. Now, I think we're all a bit more realistic these days. And we know that that's perhaps not um, the normal expectation. Now, there's different ways that clients can find your site. They can obviously type the URL, the name of your website, directly into their browser they might discover your site via social media, like Twitter or Facebook, and see something you've posted and click on a link. They might find you via an online directory and click on a link to your website. Um, they can find you via offline means, like say the yellow pages, for instance, or the white pages, or they might read about you in a magazine or a newspaper, and they can type in that web address from the listing or they might search for you. They can also search for various keywords relating to financial planning in Google or other search engines and, you know, your site could be featured in those search results. Uh, they may also click on an online advertisement that takes them to your website. So building a site is one thing, but getting people to visit your site is another. Now, this is an important question of how do you want clients to find your site? You see, when I paid for my first website for my financial planning business, I actually wasn't thinking about search engine traffic. 
I know. I said earlier, I thought I knew what I was doing, but as I said, I made lots of mistakes. So you see, I wasn't that fussed about keyword research and on-page optimizations for the search engines. I just thought, well, I'll just email my clients and tell them to go to my site and they'll go to my site and kind of magic will happen from there. Now, I quickly realized that maybe the whole thing of, you know, how people actually will go to my site, that was perhaps something I should have been thinking about. So I spent a bit of time learning about it and I made some changes to my site so it could begin to be found um, better in the search engines. Now, maybe you don't care about the search engines. Maybe your site is aimed at existing clients and you'll be emailing them links to your site so Google traffic isn't important. And that's good to know because then you don't need to spend time on search engine optimization. But what if the opposite was true? Maybe you don't have any or, or very many existing clients. So your web, web strategy revolves around getting traffic to your website and you'd probably like Google traffic to be part of that. So this is the case, then SEO, search engine optimization, becomes a lot more important. And this is something that we'll look further at um, in another episode of the podcast. Looking at your website, do you have a call to action and your contact details uh, displayed prominently on every page? See, when you send a letter to a prospect or any kind of marketing, you usually told to include a call to action, you know, instructions for them to do something as a result of that letter or that bit of marketing. Usually, that call to action could be that you want them to pick up the phone and, and call you to arrange an appointment or speak to you. So does your website have a similar call to action or, or call to actions? Um, you see, as part of every page, you really should be telling them what to do and you need to make it really easy for them. So as a, a minimum, when I look at a website, I make sure that the contact details are displayed prominently and that there's a number of ways people can connect with you. So things that I've seen or suggested to people are things like having text at the end of every article that encourages the reader to pick up the phone and call you. Maybe at the end of a web page or an article, including a link to another related page. And if you use WordPress, there's, there's plugins that you can use for that. And you've probably seen them on web pages where at the end of an article, um, it, something like, you know, here's some related posts or some similar posts that you might want to look at. So your call to action there is certainly, you know, go and read something else. You may also have some subscription boxes on your page, and hopefully you do, to encourage your readers to subscribe to your newsletter. So have a look at your website and just see, do you have a call to action? Um, if I was new and logged on your website, is it easy to find out how to contact you? Is your phone number prominently displayed? Flowing on from that thought, the other one is, do you have a contact form so the potential prospects can send you a message if they don't want to call you? So prospects looking at your website at night, he thinks you look like you might know what you're talking about and decides to get in touch with you but your office is closed. Or maybe they're nervous about calling and just want another option. So you must have a contact page that lists all the ways of getting in contact with you and also has a contact form that they can fill out. You only need to ask for some basic information. You know, on, on mine, generally it's their name, their email address, a contact phone number, and space for a message so they can tell you a little bit about what they're looking for. 
don't ask for any more information if you don't need it. You know, I've seen sites that ask about age, income, assets, etc. Now, why is a stranger going to tell you this when they don't know you? And perhaps they don't think that you need to know that information. So make it really simple and stress-free for them to contact you. If you haven't got a contact form, let us know. It's something that we can help you set up. It's really simple. And certainly when you've got one, you'll find it incredibly useful. Do you have an option for prospects to subscribe to your mailing list, your email mailing list, so that you can send them regular updates? So maybe I've looked at your site. I think you look okay, but I'm not ready just yet to get in touch to make an appointment. If I won't call you or fill out your contact form, what's the next best option? Simple, add me to your email list. Now, I've seen very few financial planning websites that have this option. And of those that do provide it, very few actually deliver anything of value. Now, in the old direct marketing days, people would say, the money is in the list. What they meant was that if you had a list of prospects that you could mail to, you'd make money. Now, in today's world, the email list is the equivalent of the old mailing list. So when I look at a website in the, for a financial planner, one of the things I look at is making sure that on every page um, that's relevant, there's a subscription box that captures people attentions, uh, people's attention and basically encourages them to subscribe to your newsletter. Now, in a lot of cases also, for this to work successfully, I've found that giving something away, now we, we call that a lead magnet, just something for free that you can give away that has some value is generally a very good incentive to get people to part with their contact details. This is a whole other topic. I could spend podcasts on this. Now, if you do head over to our the Quantime Media website, there is a subscribe page there or you'll see plenty of subscribe boxes. If you subscribe, you're taken to a page where it mentions an email marketing course that I've produced and it's available at a discounted price for my subscribers. So if email marketing is of interest to you, head over to the website, subscribe and have a look at that option and that course as well. I think you may find it valuable. Flowing on on this theme of email marketing, the new subscribers to your email list receive regular messages via an autoresponder. Now, let me just explain that for a minute. So in the old days, you used to drip feed articles to prospects on relevant topics with the hope that they'd eventually call. So, you know, you'd set up, as say, as a manual diary system and say, okay, well, this week I'll post this topic out to, the, to this person, a week later, this one, and so on. Um, now, today you can do that via email and you can automate it. Now, you're probably on email lists where this happens um, so you may not realise it, they may seem like they're relevant topical emails, but in reality, a lot of people can prepare an email sequence in advance. So on day one, the new subscriber probably receives a welcome email. Maybe a few days later, another email is sent, and this time it might refer them to an article on your website. Maybe a week after that, another email is sent. Now this time it could be about a general financial planning topic or question. And maybe in this email, you remind them of, say, you may offer a no-obligation initial appointment. So you might remind them of that. Um, and then, you know, a week later, another email might come out and so on at different intervals. So these emails, they're all pre-written. 
and they're all sent automatically. Now, you don't need to do a thing other than setting them up initially. And the way it works is simply, look, if I subscribe, you know, today, uh, you know, I get message ones today. And, you know, in 50 weeks, I might be up to message 50, for instance, in that sequence. But, you know, say in 50 weeks time, if someone new subscribes to your website, well, they start back on message one and the whole sequence is, is then sent out to them. So there is a little bit of work in getting them set up, but believe me, once they're done, they're fantastic. They're also a fantastic way to keep in touch with your prospects and help them find out more about your business. And you know, at some point, those people may just call you to make an appointment. We've just focused here on using an autoresponder, so, so the automatic email series. That's just one facet to having an email subscription option. I mean, you'll also send regular updates to your email list. Whenever you update your site, you know, you might put on events and, and that sort of stuff. There's plenty more that we could talk about on the topic of websites for financial advisors. But I'm going to stop here because we're almost out of time. In future podcasts, we'll expand on some of the concepts we've talked about today and show you some practical ideas that you can use. For now, let's review the main things. So firstly, your website should be the center of your online marketing activities. You own it. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, look, they're useful tools, but you don't own your accounts there. You own your domain name and your website, and no one can take them away from you. You need to decide on the purpose of your website. Is it to generate leads or is it for something different? Do you have a prominent call to action on each page of your website? And what do you want people to do after they read an article? Do you have a contact form that's easy to use and easy to find so people can get in touch with you? Do you have an email list that people can subscribe to? You know, in a future podcast, we will spend a whole episode on email marketing to help you learn more about how simple yet effective it can be. Now, if you do have an email list, have you set up an email autoresponder sequence so the people on your list receive regular automated emails? None of these ideas are too difficult to implement, yet I see very few financial advisors doing them. When this podcast ends, you have a couple of choices. You can decide to take some action, no matter how small it may be, or you can do nothing. So can I encourage you to spend some time reviewing your website today? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And what would you change if you could? What would you like help with? Maybe you have some questions from this podcast or you're unsure about something I've spoken about. So head over to contarmedia.com, that's C-O-N-T-A-R media.com. Go to the contacts page there and look, send me a message. Also, all the podcast episodes will be online at contarmedia.com. Go to the site, search up podcasts, and you'll see a list of all of our published podcasts. For each one, we'll include the show notes. This is a summary of the content and links to things that we may mention on the podcast. You'll also be able to leave any questions or comments there. And can I ask you to do one last thing? If you've received some value from this podcast, could you please rate it on iTunes? This is a really good way for us to build up some social proof and it helps other people decide to subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this edition, please don't keep us a secret. Tell your friends and colleagues and introduce them to our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. 
Until next time, I'm Alan Ward, and you've been listening to the Advisor Marketing Club podcast.